What's up, guys? Glad to be with you. Um, I love your pastor uh, to death. He is uh, a really, really good friend of mine. I'm grateful for him. I'm grateful for his friendship and his life. Um, uh, we are kindred spirits in the fact that we both pastor churches, but we both are bivocational, that there's businesses that we run as well. And that's very rare to find even really, really in our nation. And, and watching what God is doing through your church is an amazing thing. And I think it goes to, you know, to Ben and his leadership and to the entire team here. And so I hope you guys understand how lucky you are. And so I'm glad to be with you guys. Again, I am the lead pastor at Engaged Church, but more than that, the, probably the biggest, the greatest title I do have outside of being a Jesus follower is that of being a husband and a father. So this is my family right here. And so this is my wife, Wendy. We've been married for 17 years. Yes, my wife was a golden girl. And the first thing I ever said to my wife was, when are we getting married? That was the first thing I said. So rule of thumb, fellas, is this, is shoot or shoot, okay? And so... Um, that is my son, Jalen. Uh, he is 13 years old, and he is um, an incredible joy. That's my daughter, Brooklyn, who's 10, about to be 11. If you need someone who can organize probably hell, she can do that very well. And that is my daughter, Peyton, and she's probably the most like me. Um, I can never really stay mad at her. She's the smallest in the house. Uh, she always questions everything in the world, and that's kind of how I am. So we're kindred spirits. And so that's my family. I love I call Dan Fusion. She has over about 400, 450, 500 kids. She's over at her second location. So we had nothing else better to do besides do that and, you know, run a family and, you know, and have plan a church. So we were crazy. So that's what we did. Um, so today um, I'm going to dive right in and I'm going to talk to you on this idea of something that's really a life message of mine. Many times as a communicator and speaker, you have what we call life messages, things that over, over time God cultivates and develops inside of you. Um, it's something usually that comes from a greatest sense of pain. And what I'm going to talk to you today about is this idea of purpose, okay? This idea of purpose, because this was a very hard thing for me to, to actually to develop and to discover even when I became a Jesus follower. Now, I want to set off by saying this. This is not a sermon to talk about your best life now, okay? About, man, how can I just live a life and, and I get everything I want and I get a million Instagram followers and I get all the likes I want in this world. I have no worries, no troubles. This isn't it, because when you learn to follow Jesus... Sometimes what you realize the purpose he may give you is that of John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist's best life now was to be executed, okay? Jesus' best life now was to be crucified on the cross. So if you think that, then this is not the sermon for you. But I do want you to understand that God is actually highlighting, I believe, in our culture of of really this idea of what you saw in that New Rules video, this idea that God is, is in the thing of not mass-producing individuals. Many times in the church culture, what happened during the time of the Industrial Revolution is that a lot of culture shifted into the church, and what the church did was mass-produce Jesus followers, okay? That we all think the same way, we all do the same thing, we just train everyone the same way. And those things are important to have systems, but I actually believe that God is in this thing of really developing this individual. But you're going to learn today that your calling has everything to do with you and nothing to do with you. And so we're going to unpack this. So I'm going to pray for us. And then this is going to be an incredible time. And so um, I am excited to dive into God's word. And so hopefully you're excited. If not, you can just stare at me crazy the entire time. We'll just have a good time with that. All right. So here we go. Jesus, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the leadership here. God, I pray these brief moments we have that God, that we would block out everything that we have to do when we leave here. God, when we leave these walls, God, there are pressures that we have to go um, deal with. We have tests we have to worry about, God. We have uh, bills that we have to worry about. But God, I pray that in this moment that we would engage and lock in with you. And Jesus, I am praying right now and asking, this is a desperate prayer, God, to please help our football team. I'm begging you, please, Jesus. <laughs> amen and amen. All right. 
If you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. I'll be reading starting in verse 27. I'm going to read two quick verses to you. Genesis 1 starting in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air. And every little living thing that lives on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. The title of this sermon today is called New Rules. The reason why I call it New Rules is because most of my life was trying to figure out how to write those rules. Because I never fit in. I'm a coach's kid. I'm a son of a, of a father who grew up during civil rights. I'm the grandson of a man who pastored. I didn't grow up going to church at all. I didn't become a Jesus follower until 19, but I had in the lineage of my family line are, are people who were communicators and preachers. My grandfather pastored three churches um, uh, for 50 years, he passed away about a year and a half ago. He was an incredible man. Um, pastored one in Memphis and two in Mississippi. Pastor during segregation. I always tell people, my grandfather pastored like the closest thing you could pastor for a black man, like the closest thing to hell on earth was pastoring in Mississippi during that time. My great-grandfather was a slave. And um, and my great-great-grandfather was a slave, I would say that. And their entire family was sold off. And, And growing up, I was this kid who just didn't fit in. I didn't fit in because I had a father who was taught that, man, emotions, you can't show them. Because in his time, if you showed emotions at the wrong time, it could lead to the, your life ending. And so he didn't really know what to do. My father's a really good man, but he didn't know what to do with this kid who was so emotional. I mean, I'm the kid who cried all the time. I mean, all the time. Like, you know, I'm just all the time. I lose a game, like I'm crying, okay? Like, I mean, like, it doesn't matter. Pop Warner, a league basketball, it was game seven to me of the NBA finals. No matter what, I just cried and I cried about everything. And here's what it is. And my father being well-meaning, I just didn't fit in. And my father being well-meaning, he wanted to care for me and he tried to help me, but it just didn't really work because he, no one talked to him about emotions or anything like that. And so I started to interpret things in life of that how I was made and how I was wired was wrong. And then it goes on to where I wasn't really a good student at all. Like, I, I, I hated school. Like, school was like torture to me. But at the age of four, I literally picked up a basketball and fell in love with it. I can't explain it. It just made sense to me. It wasn't somebody teaching me this. So my father was a coach. It made sense to me. And this became a functional savior for me in my life because it's the only thing I felt like I could give to the world because I wasn't a good student. I was emotionally just jacked up in my head so many times. I struggled with anxiety and depression. I, I had these things. And, and so I found myself never fitting in. And on top of that, I was kind of tall and really lanky. And so my father would never let So I played point guards. So I never fit into what the cultural norms were. And then on top of that, I always lived in such a way where my life was incredibly diverse. Though I grew up with two parents who grew up in the segregated South. Um, and and I, though my house was always like the United Nations, though, it was like everybody was there. Seriously, everybody was there. Swimmers and baseball players and dope boys and everybody just hung out at my house. I taught my white friends how to play spades and they taught my friends what it meant to go on a boat and learn how to swim. All right. And so it was like, it just worked out. And, and that's just what we did. But it's like, I never would fit in because it was this context that I, it didn't make sense. And I always wanted to be normal. I always wanted to fit according to the rules of culture and society. 
And this went on, I became a Jesus follower at 19, and at 19, I get a hold of God in this radical way of living this wild, crazy life to now giving my life to Jesus, and I find myself wanting to serve him, but yet still, I don't fit in. I don't fit in because now all of a sudden, I go and I finish playing uh, sports. I play professional basketball in Europe. And so I, I finish playing and now I am back here. And, and, and the life verse God gave to me, maybe the first sermon I ever heard, it jumped off the stage was Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and all of its righteousness and everything will be added unto you. And so I just put that in my, my heart and didn't realize it would be my life verse. But it was something where like this scripture is going to guide me. And so I, got, I get done playing professional basketball. I find myself saying, where can I advance God's kingdom the most? I'm like, well, in Tallahassee, I play basketball there. I, I know people there. This is where I can go. And so I came back wanting to reach out to athletes who were like me. But at that point in time, no one was going to pay me to do that. So I was like, well, I got to do something. I have to work. And so what do I know? I remember I'm not the smartest guy on the planet. I hey, didn't fit in. But I was like, I know this basketball thing. And so uh, around like what, 12 or 13 years ago, I created a business in a company that I started where we did basketball skill training. And over last year, I sold it. Um, and we had a few different locations. But here's the reason why I tell you that story is because I did that. I came back. I had to make money. And I just did that stuff because I had to go do the Jesus stuff. My job was just to do the Jesus stuff. I had to make money just to do the Jesus stuff. And I didn't want to be a burden to any church. So I wanted to do my job so I could make money to then go do the Jesus stuff. But I found myself in 2009 in this crossroad where I was so depressed because I found myself feeling like a schizophrenic because I felt like in one moment that when I was doing the Jesus thing, that was the right thing to do, that I was advancing God's kingdom. But when I was doing the work thing, that that really wasn't advancing God's kingdom. And so God, why do I actually like doing this stuff? But you told me to do this. And I felt like a schizophrenic and I literally was at the point of depression. And when I say depression, I'm not talking about like, yeah, I kind of was sad. Like, no, 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 like manic, like really down, like really bad to potential of committing me. That's how bad it got. Cause in my mind, I had such this divide and I will never forget this moment. It was the spirit of God speaking to me, saying to me in the moment, Adrian, why have you built a divider that I have never put inside of you? You have a divider, a wall that you created I never did. And I began to go on this journey to figure out what ultimately God was saying and speaking. And he took me back to the beginning. See, what we read today in Genesis 1, 27 and 28 is what we call the cultural mandate. It's the beginning of God creating the world and giving man a calling. See, in the beginning of all the scripture, here's what we know. This says the earth was formless and void. There was nothing on it. As some theologians would say, they call it a wasteland. That there was nothing on the earth. And one of the first pictures we see of God is that we see a God who creates and he makes. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I think of God, I used to think of God. I never thought God is a creator, Right? I thought creators were just like, you know, creators and artisans or just people who sit at red eye and like wear beanies and like don't work, right? Like that's kind of what I thought an artist was, okay? If that's you, I'm so sorry I just offended you. It won't be the, it won't be the last time today, okay? And so um, 
And so I, that's what I thought an artist was. So it was like a creator. I'm like, God's not a creator. Yeah, he created the heavens and the earth. But like, I didn't think that way. But the first semblance we see of God is him creating and him making the world. Like there was nothing. It was this blank tapestry that was there. And God began to now form and fashion the world. Now he put material into the earth and he goes and he creates. But then here's the beautiful thing. He says that there's these human beings that we need to create in our own image. So God creates humans and he breathes life. And he says that we are his image bearers, that we are now made in his image. Have you ever wondered why God is so against idol worship? Because if you read in the Old Testament, an idol always was a representation of a deity. God was saying, listen, don't stoop to that level because listen, you, I don't need a deity. I don't need a statue because you are my living statues. You are my representatives of what I'm like. And so God breathes life into humans and he says this, be fruitful and multiply And go subdue the earth. Now, the first one is awesome. Be fruitful and multiply, okay? You're all adults in here. Pretty much God said, listen, go have a lot of sex, have kids. It's cool, okay? All right? This is great. And so I'm like, thank God for that one, okay? And so he (laughs) says that. So, um, and and I will keep moving forward. All right. And so so he says that, and, and it's great. But then he uses this word, he says subdue. That word subdue is a very violent word. That word subdue is meaning to take it, is to take things under our control. It's to take it under our control and to make something. So when God says be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, what he's saying is this, is take something of culture and make it. God has created us to take culture somewhere. Have you ever noticed why God left so many things that weren't finished yet? It's because it was our job to turn culture into something. That's what we were supposed to do. Have you ever thought about this? And I want you to ponder this. Have you ever thought about what the garden would have looked like? Like, what would it have turned into? Because if you're like me, you would think, man, this garden's going to turn into this. It's going to be the greatest vacation place in the world. No mosquitoes, first of all. Definitely not Tallahassee heat, okay? Don't want to feel like I live next door to hell. Like, it's not a vacation for me. Um, you know, my friends ask me all the time, what's Tallahassee weather like? I'm like, go to your nearest health club, walk into the steam room, with your clothes on, and that's Tallahassee, pretty much. And... So it wouldn't be that, but I would be like, oh my God, it would be like this pristine, just incredible vacation place, garden, forest, you know, hammock, you know what I'm saying? Like some of you in here, hammock, I mean, listen, again, like, you know, I'm a black man and there's a lot of, you know, young white girls in this room. Like you guys like taking pictures on hammocks, right? With your toes and like, you know, in a Jesus verse in the caption up there, right? You know? So... And so anyway, and so that, like, that's what I think that it would look like and it would be. And it wouldn't have been that because if you ever read the end of the book, Revelation, what does it say? He says that, he says, I see a city coming. It would have been a garden city. God has always called us to take culture and to make it and turn it into something. And see, as I begin this discovery, it began to change me because what I began to realize was this, was that my work And there's a purpose that God had embedded in me. Yes, there's a purpose to love him, to know him, to serve him. But there was also meaningful work he had called me to do. And many times, and why this matters, is because most of you think that work is just something we just have to do. It's something that, man, I've got to go do it. I've got to punch the clock. Some of you are in majors right now. You really don't want to be in, but you don't want to piss your parents off. So you're just doing it, right? And some of you, this just like convicted your soul just a minute ago, what I just said. And, 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 and we do these things, but let me tell you this, is that work actually was not a part of the fall. Purpose was not a part of the fall, but actually from the beginning, God gave human beings something to do. 
And we've got to understand, and we see in this beginning creation story of this, is first that God absolute creates. That God creates, and he has created you for a purpose. But you need to understand this about the purpose that God has given you. Your purpose has everything to do with you and nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with you because it's the purpose God gave you. It has nothing to do with you because a God calling is always about the empowerment of humanity, not about the empowerment of yourself. And that's the world we're living in right now. And everyone's saying, I need to find my destiny. I need to find my purpose. I need to find what's my potential. And I need to do that. And that's the height, unfortunately, sometimes in Christianity, that I have to find my potential. And as Trevin Wax says it this way, sinfulness is no longer falling short of the glory of God. It's falling short of our potential. That many of us just live right now to just, I got to get my potential. And let me tell you, if you are just living your life to just find out what am I, what do I need to be so that I can be all that God's called me to be so I can be rich, successful, have a million Instagram followers. So I really don't have to work at all. And I can just do all those things. If I can have that, that's all it's about. Someone to live a carefree life with no hindrances, no suffering, nothing. You have completely missed it because in the end, the root of that is demonic. Because what happened with Satan? Satan got tired of worshiping God and said, I'm going to worship for myself. Genesis 11, humans, what do we do? God says, go build culture. Genesis 3 happens. We mess it all up. Then we get to Genesis 11. It's the height of humanity. They build everything. They said, let's make a name. Let's make our name great. And some of us in this room, you exist to make your name great. But we do it in this veneer of that, I'm just doing it for the glory of God. I'm just, oh man, I'm, everything I do, and we, you know, just praise the Lord. Everything you say is just really Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, why are you doing your job? Man, what are you studying? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm an economist, man, for the glory of God. I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah, we get it. Like, okay. Like, but in deep inside, and here's what I've learned about God's created a purpose in us. But many times that purpose we never find because instead of us going to discover what God created us to do, we want to be the ones to tell God who we are, and we want him to bless us. Many of you think Jesus just exists to sprinkle magic fairy dust over your life to make you to be whatever you want to be. Let me tell you this. The biggest lie we fall into culture is you can be anything that you want to be. That is a lie. You cannot. You cannot. You want me to prove it? I'll prove it right now. It does not matter how much I try. It does not matter how hard I pray. But there's no way in God's creation I could be a successful horse jockey. No way. Not happening. Can I ride a horse? Yeah, for sure. But to be a successful horse jockey to win the Kentucky Derby? No shot. Does not matter. No shot. I can do CrossFit for the rest of my life. There's no shot, okay? Just not happening. All those dudes are like four foot two, okay? Like just it can't happen. You cannot be everything that you put your mind to. That is a Western thought. That is not a biblical thought because deep inside of you, you've been created by a creator who has something for you. And the issue normally is this. We don't want to let our lives speak because we don't want our lives to speak to who we really are because we don't like it. Because what if God tells you that, listen, that you are called to be someone who works for the state and you're going to work for the state, and you're only going to make this amount of money. But as you do that, as you're faithful, God's going to do this, this, and this through your life. Some of you were rejected right now. That's not who I am. I'm called to be an entrepreneur. And so you put it in, you think if you just put it in your Instagram handle, that that's who you are. But you want to be an entrepreneur, but you can't even start your own life. 
I mean, it's always, it's always amazing to me when I read people's Instagram things. Like, world traveler. Like, dude, you haven't left Cairo. Like, like you're not a world traveler. Like, that's a stop. But see, here's what you need to understand. God has created you with a purpose within you. But here's the thing. Will you let your life speak? Because let me tell you this right now. Your life is already speaking many times to the purpose God's called you to. We just don't listen. The actual word vocation, the original language of vocation, means to speak. So when we think of vocation, our lives should speak to who we are. Your job should speak to who you are. God's created you with a purpose. But see, here's the next thing. God cultivates things. He cultivates things. Now, we see that God left the world and he left it unfinished. But he says the same way that God, he gives man these things. I want you to go. I want you to create. I want you to go make. I want you to cultivate the earth. In the same way that God creates something within us, he goes through and allows this Holy Spirit and within community to begin to cultivate in us to develop our purpose. But I need you to understand as God begins to cultivate your purpose, to pull your purpose out, that many times your purpose is going to be found underneath your greatest places of pain. And nobody wants that. That in your greatest places of pain, many times, you can find your greatest sense of purpose. And many times, you can also find in your greatest sense of pain the thing that you ultimately worship. Because I tell people underneath, trauma and pain is always a breeding ground for idolatry. Because in the midst of real trauma and real pain, we need to find a functional savior to save us from that pain that we never want to go to again. And so underneath your pain right now, there's many times some of your greatest sense of purpose. Let me tell you, as I've been walking and serving Jesus and this whole idea of new rules and creating this company about human purpose development is this, is because my entire life, the pain of I never fit in, I want to fit in. Listen, I'm a black man in the South who pastors a 60% white church, 35% black, 5% other ethnicity. I'm a reformed charismatic. I'm like a unicorn. (laughs) In my church right now, I've got like black lives, blue lives, Neil Stan, burn Nikes, buy more Nikes. Like that's the church I live in right now. And everybody's like, oh man, that's awesome. Look at the diversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until you're pastoring them, until an election cycle happens. Or until people say that you're not for the culture because you won't speak out against this. Or for people to say, you don't care about police officers because you actually talk to your, you talk to your 13-year-old son about how whenever he's pulled over, here's how you respond. Let me tell you this. In my greatest places of pain, God has cultivated my greatest sense of purpose. See, I couldn't find who I was, and I realized as I began to go through this process of discovering it and cultivating it, that one of my biggest callings in life is to help people find out what they were created to do. Some of you right now, your emotional brokenness is stopping you from finding out what God's designed and created you to do because you're not emotionally resilient enough to actually dig through the pain and not let it affect your identity. And what do I mean by that? Many times where we have pain We tend not to want to go there. And when we go there, we allow it to affect our identity and who we are. 
But if you are a Jesus follower in this room, you've got to be able to look underneath all of the stuff and then be able to say, no, this is painful. Here's where I've messed up. Man, this is where someone violated me and that was wrong. Or man, this is where, man, this person said this about me and it was hurtful to be able to feel that and to dig underneath that, but not allow it to affect who you are as a person. It has to be cultivated. And here's the third and final thing is this, is that God commissions that what he begins to do when he helps you create your purpose, he helps you cultivate your purpose. And then here's the thing, then he commissions you to go do it. See, I find it interesting that if you would go on and we didn't have time to read today, but in, in Genesis 2, and it's around like verse 4 or 5, it says this. It said, God creates man, and it says, then it breathe, he breathes life into man. That idea that he says, man, from the dust of the ground, he creates man. You ever find it interesting that God goes from the dust, and if you really look at all the different, like, shades of, like, dirt and mud and clay and things like that, that if you really go around the world, you can see the shades on all people. It's an amazing thing. And, and the fact that God creates man from the dust, and he builds him, and what does he do? Man doesn't have any life, and God breathes life. What does he do? He puts his ruach in him. He empowers him to go. And here's what God was speaking in that moment. He empowered man to be his representatives here on the earth, to take culture somewhere. And what he was speaking to us is what we are supposed to do, is now with our calling and our commissioning to go, is we are called to now go and to take God somewhere. But it's not about the empowerment of ourselves, but it's about the empowerment of other people. That God breathes life into man and he says, go, I've now given you power. So now as you go and you work as an engineer, as you work as an artist, as you work as a barista, let me tell you this. The greatest humans on the planet are the people who make my coffee. They are. I mean, like, I love them to death. I take care of them. Why? Because they're like my local drug dealers, I feel like, okay? And so I take care of them. But here's the thing. When I go in my barista, you know, I walk in, and I can walk into Starbucks, anyone, or I walk into Red Eye, and again, I have a problem, but I walk in, and they know what I want before I get there. It makes me feel some type of way. It makes me feel like they know who I am. Oh, my, no one else does, but they do. They love me. They care about me. Like, I just, I feel a place of belonging longing when I walk in here. Listen, when you're a barista and you're making coffee, let me tell you this, you are advancing God's kingdom. Why? Because if you're providing excellence to people, it shows off the excellence of your God. And some of you don't think that way. You want to know how you can reach more people for Jesus? Don't suck at your job. That's what our church says. Well, how do I want to reach more people? Don't suck. Be good. That's simple. And you know what? When you're good, and you work hard. And what I mean by being good, I'm not saying you got to be the number one person at your job, but what it means is this, is that you're there on time, you're dependable, you actually care about the bottom line of profit of your company, not just going and putting tracks or just like, man, come to my community group tonight. It's going to be awesome. Let me tell you this. People will not come to your stinking community group if they know you don't care about them outside of your community group. Some of you just want to check a box. Oh, you came to my community group. <laughs> Pastor Ben, look what I'm doing, man. I got, I got 25 people in my community group. But here's the question. Is that person in the cubicle next to you who God's really wanting you to reach out to, do you ever know what's going on in their life at all? Because let me tell you this. Your enemies will never know Jesus, only your friends. You will never lead any of your enemies to Jesus, only your friends. And you know how you do that? By loving and caring and serving people. And so God commissions us to go. 
And so I want to read this really quick because I have to land this plane really fast. All right, so this is the time in the, when you're flying an airplane and the, they say put your tray table up and do that and, and, and don't pull your cell phone out, you know, cut off, but we all keep our cell phones on and keep texting, right, hoping to get some signal. All right, this is that moment. Matthew 28, it says that the tray table's up because it's going to be a pretty fast landing. Okay, so here's the thing. Matthew 28, it says this. Matthew 28, it says, then Jesus came and said to them, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. I got, became a Jesus follower, and this is one of the first verses that I really understood that I was called to go and to make disciples. So evangelism, go and tell people about Jesus. And so that's what, that's what I'm supposed to do. And this is one of the reasons why there was such a divide in my brain, is because I just knew the whole point of life is just to tell people about Jesus so that they can come to a relationship with Jesus so they don't have to go to hell at all. But let me tell you this, as I began to study, and I began to read, and I began to like to, to listen to really smart guys from past and, and present talk about this idea. There is a link between Matthew 28 and Genesis 1:28. It's because, listen, in the beginning, we walked with God, right? We walked with God. There was no need for Jesus to come because we had no sin. Sin came into the world, and what happened? There became a separation between us and God. So Jesus had to come to the earth. He had to live a life we couldn't live, die the death we should have died, to now bridge us, to bring us back into relationship with God. But here's the thing. Most of the times we stop right there. And on this side of eternity, all we think is, okay, life serving Jesus is about me living a moral life, trying not to watch this, trying not to drink this, trying not to touch things, trying to just just live this moral life. And that's all we narrow Christianity down to. But let me tell you this. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He's saying, I need you to go see these people, come to know me. They become in a relationship with me and then connect them back to Genesis 128, to their original intent of humanity, to go and make something of the world. So let me tell you this right now. And I know I said that really fast is when you go reach people, the point is just for them not only not to just go to, to heaven. That's incredibly important. But it's on this side of eternity to connect them back to God, to realize the one who created you, created you with a purpose and a purpose to go do something, to advance his kingdom. And so I tell people all the time, as you go to work, as you go to class, as you are going to your different places, um, when your communities, go tell the story. Be excellent at what you do and go tell the story. I close on this part of it. The business that I ran, little did I know of the impact that it would have, and it messed me up because I'm like, man, training kids doing basketball, how's that ever going to impact anybody's life? There's a young man who I started training him when he was in the fourth grade. His entire summer, he scored 10 points, like literally 10 points the whole summer, not like a game, the whole summer. Like he sucked, like the whole summer, like he didn't score. But there was something that was drawing me to this young man. He worked so hard. And for four years, we just worked and we trained. And I never said a word to him about Jesus. I just provided a great service for him. Going into his ninth grade year, he invited me to something. He was um, 
He's a part of a, a, another church. He, he was was not really a part of this church. He just kind of did the the whole kind of uh, process of becoming. I can't forget the word it is, but anyway, he, it's for kids. And so he's being a part of this church. And as he's going to this church, he he was called and he says, "Hey, we have this event. We have this ceremony. We want you to be a part of, or I want you to come to. Will you come to?" And I'm like, "Cool." I'm like, "All right, yeah, I'd love to go." So I go to this event and and I'm reading the stuff. And as I'm reading it, it's very biblical. But I know him and I know how he's living. And I know he's very far from Jesus. And so as I read it. I talked to him after, I'm like, hey, this stuff that you committed to, do you really want to know what it's all about? And he was like, sure. Fast forward, his parents were like, look, he really wants to play this game. and He really wants to be the best that he could be. So are you willing to help him however you can? We're willing to take him out of school two hours every single day for you to work with him. I was like, sure. I was like, but here's the deal. If I do that, I want to teach him on leadership. And I believe leadership comes from the greatest place leadership comes from is from the Bible. So let me ask you a question. If you do this once a week, can I teach him, can I just teach him principles, leadership principles from the Bible? For sure. So now I want you guys to put yourself in this situation. I had somebody paying me really good money to disciple their child. <laughs> greatest hustle ever, right? <laughs> this is real life. Three months into it, Halloween, it's October 31st. He comes to me and says, listen. I've been sitting with you for two months. I know how I'm living is wrong, and I know Jesus is real, and I want to give him my life, and I want to serve him. And it wasn't that I was like, oh, man, okay, he's doing, you know, it wasn't like, oh, man, shoot, okay, where's the band at? You know, stick up a tie. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't anything like that. It's like I, uh, we were in a weight room. He said, so what do I have to do? I'm like, like, you can get Jesus right now. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the whole earth is his, so he's here, okay? <laughs> two or three are gathered, me and you. We're in unity. He's here. Just believe the Bible. So right there in that weight room, he surrendered his life to Jesus. From that point on, this young man has gone, and he's playing college basketball now. He went on to be a parade All-American, and he's now playing basketball, and he's out there planning Bible studies and doing these things. And let me tell you this. It was never me starting off by saying, oh, my gosh, I want to reach people. But when I broke the sacred-secular divide, I realized this. As I go, I'm going to make disciples. It changed. And little do you know is that that kid, by impacting his life, one day his mother walked up to me and handed me a check. This is real life. Handed me a check for $50,000 and put it in my hand that said, look, you've impacted so many kids' lives. There's this gym that I know that you've been wanting. Here you go. Go get it. And so now what happened, I used to pray years ago. I want to walk out of the back of my house and train kids. I now live in the dead center middle of Midtown. There, I walk 29 steps from the back of my house, and there's a gym back there that I've never paid a dime for that somebody gave me the money to do. And you know what's happening in that gym? We've provided and helped people reach their dreams, but you know what else has happened? A lot of people have come to know Jesus because of it. So let me tell you this. You being faithful to what God has placed before you and your purpose, you have no idea the impact it's going to make. So here's your practical takeaway today. One, you were never meant to find your purpose outside of community. So you have community groups here. Get involved. It's more than just coming around learning more about the Bible. But actually in community, when I was in community, that's what was able to me to pull out who I was. Second thing is this, this whole thing you saw about the New Rules Conference, that's the whole point of it. Impossible notions is people coming from all across the country coming here. And it's simply this, it's to help you figure out what were you designed. Because a God calling will seem impossible but all things are possible for him who believe. And so there are going to be people out there. we got a special like, rate for you today at DCC. Go find out. They're going to be at the tent outside. So I'm going to pray for you guys. We're going to get out of here. And listen, thank you guys so much for having me today. And so, Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for these incredible people. 
And God, as we go, let your grace and your face shine upon us, Lord God. Empower us to be all that you've created us to be. We love you and we honor you. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.